So God's word tonight, beginning Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38. This is God's holy word. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Those who sealed it were Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pashur, Amariah, Malkijah, Hattush, Shebaniah, Malach, Harim, uh, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathon, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijah, Mejamin, Maziah, Bilgai, and Shemaiah. These were the priests. The Levites, Jeshua, son of Azaniah, Binui, of the sons of Henadad, Cadmiel, and their associates, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kalita, Paliah, Hanan, Micah, Rehob, Hashabiah, Zakur, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Bani, and Beninu. The leaders of the people, Perosh, Pahath, Mohab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Buni, Asgad, Bebai, Adonijah, Bigvi, Adin, Ater, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodiah, Hashem, Bezai, Harif, Anathoth, Nebai, Magpiash, Meshulam, Hezir, Mesh, Zabel, Zadok, Jadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Aniah, Hoshea, Hananiah, Hashub, Halohesh, Pilha, Shobek, Rehum, Hashabna, Maseah, Ahiah, Hanan, Anon, Maloch, Haram, and Baana. And the rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand, all these now join their brothers, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God, of the Lord our Lord. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or to take their daughters for our sons. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forgo working the land and will cancel all debts. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God, for the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, new moon festivals, and appointed feasts, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and for all the duties of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. 
We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds and of our flocks to the house of God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain, offerings, of the, first, of the fruit of all of our trees, and of our new wine and oil. And we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes, and the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God, to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and oil to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary are kept, and where the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers stay. We will not neglect the house of our God. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, beloved, when John the Baptist came preaching in the Gospels, we read in Matthew 3, 8 that he said, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Godly repentance, that godly turning away from sin and turning toward the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, is something that is true in a person's heart or mind. The Greek word for repentance means to change your thinking. But by God's grace, true repentance, repentance unto life, always translates into a changed life. There is repentance in the heart and the fruit of repentance in a person's life. New obedience. I hope you remember, it's been a, few weeks now, but I hope you remember that we've seen in Nehemiah 9 this great repentance among the people of God and their confession of sin. But then at the end of chapter 9 and the whole of chapter 10, we see further fruit of repentance. And that fruit takes the form of something that is perhaps an unfamiliar thing uh, to modern-day Christians. What we see here, uh, especially there at chapter 9, verse 38, but then fleshed out in chapter 10, uh, is something that we could call covenanting. Covenanting. We have covenanting in our lives still in various forms, but we usually don't speak of it in that way. Uh, A covenant is a solemn and binding agreement. Uh, And so business contracts could be, in a way, considered covenants. Most especially uh, marriages with their vows, their promises, are uh, an occasion of covenant making. And we speak of the covenant of marriage. In the church, uh, in some churches anyway, in our church, we speak of the covenant of church membership. Those vows or promises made before God and his people concerning our 
uh, beliefs and practices, what we believe and what we promise to do in light of those beliefs. The Westminster Confession has a whole chapter on vows and oaths, oaths and vows, and it distinguishes oaths are calling God to witness what we assert or what we promise and for God to judge us on the truth or falsehood of what we have said. We make an oath before God that this is true. And a vow is like an oath, but it has a promise nature to it, a promissory oath. Uh, and the catechism or the confession reminds us that oaths and vows ought to be made with religious care and then performed with faithfulness. God is the God of truth. And so we should be a people of truth. God is a faithful God, and so we should seek to be faithful people. We know that flippant, irreverent, or excessive vow-making and oath-taking are renounced by Jesus. But a careful reading of the Bible shows that vows and oaths on some occasions are appropriate, but they should always be done in the spirit of let your yes be yes and your no be no. That we really are serious about making promises, taking oaths and vows before God. Now in our passage, what we see here in verse 38 of chapter 9 and following is a, an occasion, a special occasion of a voluntary corporate covenant being made. Now, in the Hebrew, the word covenant isn't used, for instance, in verse 38, but all the elements are there. The verb used, when the NIV says, somebody says, we are making a binding agreement, the verb used there is the Hebrew verb to cut. They were cutting it. And to understand that, you need to think of covenants in the Old Testament and think of something like Genesis 15, where Abraham cut the pieces. And basically he's saying, if these promises aren't kept, may it be unto me as we've done to these animals. And so covenants were cut in ancient times. And that's the verb that's used here. So that points to a covenant. We also see that explicitly what was said was put in writing and it was attached with a seal. So all those three things point here to a solemn covenant being entered into by the leaders and by the people. And so we could say these ancient Jews were covenanters. We usually hear that name if we've heard it at all being associated with early Presbyterians in Scotland who publicly covenanted together before God. We can consider historically things like the National Covenant in 1638 or the Solemn League and Covenant in 1643. And so Reformed Presbyterians our denomination and Reformed Presbyterians around the world, though we have our differences, and there are, with the Scots of the 17th century, 
Reformed Presbyterians are still often nicknamed Covenanters. Oh, you're the Covenanters. And that's what it's referring to historically. But that's exactly what we're seeing here in this part of Nehemiah, a public covenant being entered into. And the substance of this covenant that was cut, that was made, put into writing and sealed, the substance of this covenant in chapter 10, we find, was both general and specific. There's some general ways to consider it and then some specifics. In general, we see verse 29 of chapter 10. All these now join their brothers, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord, our Lord. There's a very general statement of what they were committing themselves to. One writer said, the whole company of people had bowed to the whole law. All of them, men, women, down to those who could, could understand, were uh, vowing on oath to submit themselves to the whole law of God. This was, as one writer said, a recommitment to the law given to Moses. This was not an addition of, uh, to scripture of man-made ideas. This is really something being done in the spirit of Jeremiah 6.16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. They weren't inventing something new and saying, this seems like a good idea. Let's get together and promise to do this. It was a covenanted return, a covenanted reformation, according to what had already been given in the law of God. At the end of chapter 10 is, is also a, a statement of a more general nature. What were they covenanting themselves to? We will not neglect the house of our God. It's the heart of this covenant. Matthew Henry said, let not any people expect the blessing of God unless they conscientiously observe God's ordinances and keep up the public worship of him. Those that forsake the worship of God forsake God. And so they're binding themselves to this. We will not neglect the house of our God. It sounds very much like what the writer to the Hebrews calls Christians to in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and to good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, again, in Hebrews 10, this isn't speaking about legitimate providential hindrances from worship. But that word, do not give up, could be translated forsaking or abandoning or deserting. 
And this is the heart of this covenant as well. We will not abandon the house of our God. We will not forsake it. We will not desert it. We will be there. And we will worship and serve our God according to the law that he has given us. And this is what they covenanted together on that occasion. Now, I think I'm probably too unromantic to appreciate those who desire to renew their wedding vows when you hear people doing that. But in a similar sense, every profession of faith that we hear in the congregation, every baptism and the vows that accompany those occasions should be a covenant renewal for each of us to consider the vows we have made and before God to ask, how am I doing? How's it going? We have made vows. These people are calling themselves together to these things. Help keep each other accountable to show their seriousness before God. To not neglect the house of God and to walk in the ways of God. And from those general vows, those general statements, the chapter also fleshes out specifics that were covenanted on this occasion. And the specifics are two things in general. There is the repentance. They repented of previous sins. That was included in the covenant. And they also resolved future duties, repented past sins, and resolved future duties. And we see those two things being worked out in specific areas. The first area, chapter 10, verse 30, marriage. And we've considered this before already. Covenant members had married outside the church, basically. And we see that still is an issue today. Um, we need to come to a chapter like this and see this covenant that was made and the seriousness of it. We need to see it in the New Testament, that those who marry must marry in the Lord. And if this is something that is more applicable to you at some point in your life, just make a covenant. Make a covenant. Write it down if you have to. Maybe make a covenant with a couple of your friends in, in a similar situation, Christian friends in a similar situation. Just make a covenant before you make a covenant. Make a vow to only marry in the Lord before you give your heart away and make a marriage covenant that you shouldn't make. But that was part of the covenant here on this occasion, marriage. We see another specific here, so much to do with the Sabbath. The Sabbath and the different ways that the Sabbath was expressed in the Old Testament ceremonial law. The moral law of the weekly Sabbath and then various ways that the ceremonial law also had Sabbaths. Every seventh year and then on the 50th year after 49 years. Verse 31, 
When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. We need to remember breaking and neglecting the Sabbath was the primary reason for the exile. That's why God kept them in Babylon for 70 years as a parallel to the Sabbaths that they had neglected. You know, there's an old saying, the Jews keep the Sabbath, but the Sabbath keeps the Jews. And the Jews saw how important the Sabbath was, particularly post-exile, and how important it was for them to, uh, for their identity and for the, the ordering of their lives before God. And this is true for Christians as well. Christians in terms of the weekly Sabbath, now the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, but the same principle. We need to listen and covenant and vow in light of Isaiah 58. If you keep, says God, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, then the Lord's Day, holy day, honorable. And if you honor it by not going your own way, and not doing as you please or speaking idle words. Then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know, Christians always have the question, what can I do on the Sabbath? What am I not allowed to do on the Sabbath? All these things. It's good to talk about those things with with each other, but here's something, here's a place that I'd start. Whatever you're thinking about, take it to Isaiah 58. And honestly and prayerfully, read Isaiah 58 and then say, should I do this or not? Or what am I doing? But to covenant, to remember that in our vows of membership as well, there is a covenanting that involves the Sabbath in our lives. Weekly Lord's Day worship. Marriage, Sabbath, there's also here an emphasis on giving. Verse verse 32, verse 35, God loves a cheerful giver. And, and these people see the importance of giving. Maybe even sense sometimes how that can fall by the wayside. And so they are coming together and covenanting before God not to neglect giving. Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 8, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. The motivation and the importance of giving in the Christian life. And we also see several things that I think can be grouped together under the heading. They covenanted to maintain and observe the means of grace. The means of grace, the ordinances of God, the ordinances of worship that were appropriate to them in their day. But they were covenanting to maintaining and observing the means of grace. And it's, it's done in, in different ways, in different contributions, 
different things that are given. Um, but I just want to highlight one that I think stands out. Verse 34. We, the priests and Levites and the people, have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. This was like the wood tithe. You bring wood as your offering into the church. And you might read that thing, what? seems a little unspiritual. You know, you want to come to the Bible and read of lofty things. And here they're covenanting, don't forget the wood. But just think of how much wood was needed with those continual sacrifices and offerings. It was something that was very important. And I think here this, this covenant to, together to maintain and observe the means of grace involves all sorts of things that seem perhaps insignificant or unspiritual, but they're not. Every time we have the Lord's Supper, which is one of the two sacraments of the New Testament, someone prepares those elements for us, don't they? They don't just magically appear on the communion table. Someone does that. And that's important. And we need to have people committed to helping in that way. Where we meet in the context of where we meet very often, especially when we're outside sometimes or even in buildings, someone put, up, put this microphone here. Someone right now has, has made this live stream available. That didn't just happen. It's maintaining and in order to observe the means of grace, recordings, setting up chairs in worship. When I read here, don't forget the wood. It's a reminder for us. We will not neglect the house of our God. It includes the highest spiritual activities we can be involved in. And in other ways, the most mundane of activities that all contribute to our life as the church. Not insignificant. Shoveling snow, putting salt out. These are all things that we should remember as we together commit ourselves to the means of grace and the ordinances of God's worship among us. But when we think of these things in general, this covenant in general, Obedience to the law of God, confession of sin, obedience to the law of God, repenting of sin. Not neglecting the worship in the house of God, specific things like marriage, Sabbath, giving, maintaining and observing the means of grace. Why a written, sealed covenant? Why not just say, yeah, well, we all know that this is important. We need to be doing it. That's fine. Why are they saying, in view of our confession, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders are affixing their seals to it. Why go to the bother of a covenant? Well, I think it's because we're just not the people that we often think we are. Again, Matthew Henry, in speaking of covenants like this, said, 
nor will those that know the deceitfulness of their own hearts think them unnecessary. We know that that's what we're like. I know I should exercise. But I know myself too. And so different ways that I can have accountability for that, different ways that I can build into my life so that I remember that at some point in the past I made a promise to do something, those things are helps to us. How much more then in the Christian life, which is so assaulted and attacked by the world, the flesh, and the devil, how much more we should see that in certain times, in different ways, the, the helpfulness and perhaps at times even the necessity of making covenants like this together with the people of God. There may come again times for our church, for Christians to publicly make covenants with respect to the church and its life or with respect to a statement regarding the nation, we're not used to that very much. The last covenant that the RP Church made officially was the Covenant of 1871. And that's included in your Constitution. The Covenant of 1871. Been a lot of years that have gone by since 1871. I think it would be good for us to start thinking of a church as well these public covenants together of who we are in light of particular sins, neglect of particular duties, calling ourselves back again to the ways of the Lord. I think it's encouraging to read this in the word of God, this covenant that was made in the days of Nehemiah. I came across another covenant that was made as I was reading the biography of a man named John Eliot. He died in 1690. He was a Puritan missionary to the American Indians. Sometimes in the history of the church, he's called the Apostle to the Indians. Uh, he was uh, born in the UK, but he worked in New England. In 1646, biographers tell us, in September of that year, he preached to Algonquin Indians in New England. And one writer says it was a failure. No response. And then a month later in October, as he sat in the wigwam of the local chief named Waban, John Eliot read the Ten Commandments. He went over the first three questions of the catechism. He preached on the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel. He covered the main doctrines of systematic theology. And then he answered questions for three hours in the wigwam. And the Lord blessed that ministry. He ended up serving in this way for the next 40 years. Eventually, there were many conversions. The converts were commonly called the praying Indians. And eventually they bought land and built what were called the praying towns. 
14 of them in total were, were built. And we read in the history of John Elliot that on September 24th, 1651, the praying Indians of one town in particular entered into a public covenant. This is what it said. We are the sons of Adam. We and our forefathers have a long time been lost in our sins. But now the mercy of God begins to find us out again. Therefore, the grace of Christ helping us, we do give ourselves and our children unto God to be his people. He shall rule us in all affairs, not only in our religion and affairs of the church, but also in all our works and affairs in this world. God shall rule over us. The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. The wisdom which God has taught us in his book shall guide and direct us in the way. O Jehovah, teach us wisdom to find out your wisdom in the scriptures. Let the grace of Christ help us because Christ is the wisdom of God. Send your spirit into our hearts and let him teach us. Lord, take us to be your people and let us take you to be our Lord. That's a beautiful thing to read of that public covenant before God and the world. Church history is also filled with examples of more personal covenants before God. This is a corporate covenant, the people coming together, but personal covenants before God. Thomas Boston uh, wrote an extensive one. I'll just pull out a couple of statements from it. He didn't just say, I'm a Christian and I believe and follow the Bible. That's true, of course. But he took the time to write out more specifically a covenant before God. He said, I resign myself wholly, soul and body unto Christ to be rescued by the strength of his mighty hand from sin, death, the devil, and this present evil world for to serve him forever and to be ruled by the will of his command as to my duty and the will of his providence as to my lot in life. I am with my whole heart content, Lord, thou knowest, to part with and do renounce every known sin, lust, or idol, and particularly that sin which most easily besets me, together with my own foolish will and all other lords besides him, without reservation. Let it be recorded in heaven, O Lord, and let the bed on which I leaned, the timber, the stones, and all other things around me here in my closet bear witness that I, though most unworthy, have this second day of December 1729, have come into the covenant of grace, and that thou art my God, 
and I am one of thy people from henceforth and forever. Have you ever thought of of just writing in a journal somewhere today with what's happening in your life? Places that you've known, you've been lax or sinful. Things that you know that you ought to have been doing that that you haven't been. That you would sit down and just covenant before God. Sometimes that's what we need to do. Now, we may never have thought of ourselves as covenanters in that way before. If we're Christians in our congregation, we have taken vows. If we're members of the church, we have taken vows. We are covenanters. Or if we've made covenants like this corporately as a denomination or personally, as good and right and helpful as these covenants can be, the sad fact is we don't keep them. We can have the most beautiful, comprehensive, biblically faithful covenant, but we don't keep it. We fall short. As we fall short of the glory of God revealed in his law, When we remember that, how thankful we should be as we think of the covenants that we might make, that God himself, our triune God, is the great covenanter. That there is a covenant of grace in Jesus Christ in which the triune God has promised to save a people, to do everything necessary that we would be saved. And so any covenant that we make must be rooted and grounded in the covenant of grace. It must be rooted and grounded in Christ. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek.